Hi, I'm Elaine Boddy. And I'm David Treadway. And welcome to the Food God Pod. With Matthew's Cotswold Flower. In this episode, we are very excited because we have come down to the beautiful, beautiful Somerset to meet and talk to the brilliant people from White Lake Cheese. And this is a very, very beautiful part of the world, as you said. I have to admit that my own home is not a million miles from here, um, just outside Bristol in what is known as North Somerset, but this is real Somerset. And this is beautiful. I drove down here yesterday, and for me, this is three hours south of where I live. And some of the countryside that I came through, I mean, it's just beautiful. It also has helped that the sun has come out in the last couple of days. But this is... I mean, this is England at its finest. It is beautiful around here. For those who don't know this part of the world, particularly our podcast listeners in other countries, it's in the southwest of England and it's mainly agricultural. A lot of cows, a lot of pigs, a lot of sheep. And of course, as uh, we will find out more as we go on our visit to to White Lake Cheese and, and the farm, a lot of goats as well. <laughs> yes. So this is very exciting and just to set it up so people know why we're here and how this has come about, one of the people that you're going to hear us talk to today is a lady called Sally Prosser who has a food blog called My Custard Pie who I met in food blog world when I first set mine up years ago and Sally contacted me last year and said she was working with Roger from White Lake Cheese, would I like to try some of their cheese? I'm, I don't accept everything everyone ever offers me because I think it needs to be relevant and I, I don't think people should waste their marketing budgets on me if it's not something I'm going to like or want to use or not something that I would buy. And I said, oh, yes, please. And uh, this box arrived. The cheeses that he sent um, some whey, which is the liquid that comes from making cheese. So when you make cheese, there's curds and whey. So the curd is the solid element, the whey is the liquid element. So there was some whey, which went into some loaves. There was some amazing curd, this goat's curd, which I ate myself. There was a lot of selection of cheeses. Not only did I try lots of these, but lots of them, they went into my different breads. So in my new book, there is a loaf made with his whey. There are loaves made with his cheeses. And they, they are beautiful cheeses. And I have then since been online and bought more myself. So when we started this podcast and we started to discuss this idea of doing a food-based podcast, as you may recall, he was one that was immediately on my list. Absolutely, yeah. And um, you and I, David, are... Uh, <laughs> When we get together, what does our, fa- our lunch tend to be? It tends to be... Cheese and bread. Yes. Sourdough. Cheese and bread and beautiful chutneys. Yeah. And I knew that you would like coming here as well. And this is, but this is also about understanding and being educated about the cheese making process. But this is also, much as they make a, a vast number of cheeses, they can make it in small batches. So there's a, quite a range of cheeses, a lot of goat's cheese from the goats that they, their own goats, and there's also some sheep's cheese, some sheep milk that they buy in, and some cow's milk cheese. We're going to learn a lot more about all of that. But these are cheeses that are, you know, like what we make, made with love. 
And the other thing, and I guess the other connection with of making sourdough, is that there's an element, as you said, of alchemy. There's, it's, it's actually the bacteria. Yes. It's the process of how that cheese is, is created. Just like what excites me about sourdough is, you know, leaving that starter after you've fed it for a few hours and watch the magic happen and then watching it again yeah. when you add it to the flour and the water to create the dough. And, and there's a similarity there with, with making cheese. And I think as well, the time element, you know, we know with making sourdough that the best way to make it is to have patience and to let it happen. And, and I think that's what we'll learn today with cheese making is it's, it's like all these things, the best things are created with time, you know, and care. So I'm sure that this is going to be absolutely fascinating. And one um, other thing I was... I, I, I absolutely agree with you. I'm so looking forward to it. I've never been inside a, a, a no, cheese-making facility. My only image is you presumably got to wear wellies because there's, <laughs> there's a lot of water and whey around. We'll find out, I'm sure. But one thing I, I think it's worth mentioning is that we've, we've said uh, which county we're in, which is, which is Somerset. We're not far from uh, the Cathedral City of Wells. We're not far from Shepton Mallet. And importantly, we're not far from the world-famous cheddar, which is where cheddar cheese gets its name from. So we're in the right part of the world for cheese. But also, which I thought, what I thought you were going to say is, we're just down the road from Glastonbury. We are, yes. And the Glastonbury Festival. The, the, the tour is just up the road, in fact. Yeah. That world-famous location. I think it's going to be another occasion of hairnets. I'm going to end up with a lovely collection of images of me and blue hairnets on. Get your wellies on, here we go. <laughs> but before we move into the cheese room, let's meet Roger Longman, the man behind White Lake Cheese, and hear his story of how he got into cheese making. This is my family farm. I'm the third generation of farmers here. My grandfather bought it in 1930. Uh, we used to milk cows and my parents and grandparents made cheddar. As a child growing up, I would do some of the hard labour of cheddaring because all of it was done by hand. But farming seemed like hard work to me. I didn't want to be a farmer. I did engineering at university, built tractors for Massey Ferguson for five years, uh, learnt a lot and learnt that I'm not very good at working for other people. So I came back to the family farm as my dad retired. Uh, we were still making cheddar then. Some changes in the market sort of pushed us out of the cheddar making market. We couldn't compete with the bigger factories anymore. Um, but I always knew that having an end product was the only way to really make money in, in, in farming. Um, and I thought, well, I'll, 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 melt, I'll make a different cheese. I'll milk goats and I'll make cheese. I thought, they're like small cows. How hard can it be? It's actually quite hard. Okay. It's, a, it's a steep learning curve. They're not small cows at all. They're actually more like um, pigs in that they're very fragile animals. Um, you really have to take a tremendous amount of care from them. But they are brilliant fun. Um, I'm looking forward to showing them later. They are mischievous, they are cheeky, they've got all sorts of interesting characteristics. So yeah, I really fell in love with, with goats. So we milked goats, started milking goats in 2001. I sold my milk to various other dairies at the time, but wanted to get into cheese making. So I set up a business, White Lake Cheese, in 2004 uh, with a chap called Peter Humphreys, who'd been making cheese for someone else for 10 years and wanted to have more of a share of the business. We spent four years making mistakes and losing money. And then finally we started to make some money and it took another four years to make enough money to pay off the losses we'd already made. 
Um, and then by about 2012, 2013, the business was really starting to grow. 2014, we built a new cheese room, which seemed like a cathedral to us compared to what we'd had before. But within five years, it was clear that we needed more space as the business continued successfully to grow. We've won lots of awards. We've won Supreme Champion at British Cheese Awards three years in a row, which has never been done before. Unfortunately for me, it's always been with the sheep's cheese because as well as milking goats, we also buy some sheep's milk and some Guernsey cow's milk. So we make okay. about 28 different cheeses. Wow, okay, I didn't realize it was that many. So what are the percentages between goats, sheep and cow's milk? Then? Yeah, I think, I never really look at the numbers per se, but I, I think goats is probably at least two thirds of our okay. supply is, is, is goats cheese. Um, just under a third is, is sheep and a very small percentage is cow. We don't do a great deal of cow because there's a lot of other people doing cows out there already um, who do as good a job, if not better. But we have customers who would rather get all their cheese from one place. So they can come to us and they can get cow, goat and sheep, hard, soft. The only thing they can't get yet is blue cheese. Yet, being yet. a big word. Okay. I had realized you did a lot of goat's cheese from what you sent me. Oh, and the goat's curd. Oh, that stuff. I mean, I could just eat that with a spoon. Um, oh, I do. Oh, yeah. <laughs> fabulous. Just fabulous, fabulous stuff. It occurs to me, is it an odd question? Have you ever attempted to make cheese with the three mixed together? Um, we haven't attempted. We have tried mixing goat and sheep. So we do a feta, or fetish as we call it, uh, and a halloumi. And we've tried different ratios of goat and sheep because both of those cheeses, cheeses traditionally were a mix of the two milks because um, they come from either Cyprus or Greece where you have mixed flocks. But we found actually the feta, or fetish, was better as a pure sheep. Right. It was much sweeter. And the, 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 goat, the halloumi was better as, a, as a, a pure goat. So that's what we've stuck with. A lot of our customers buy our cheese because they have allergies to cow's milk. And one of the beauties with our halloumi, because there's no cow's milk in it, those customers can still eat it. And it is a stunningly beautiful halloumi. And if two thirds of those are goat's cheese, yeah. that's, that's goat's cheese in a lot of different ways. Yes. Because a lot of people would just think of goat's cheese as like chef. Yep. Or, you know, just a, a crumbly white cheese. Yep. Yep. But you're, you're taking goat's cheese to a whole different level with all the different ways you're doing. Because yep. there's a hard, there's a soft, there's a semi-soft, there's different yep. rinds and things like yep. that. Uh, which I love because I love goat's cheese. Yep. My esteemed colleague and producer to my left has never been completely convinced. But I think you could easily change him because there's goat's cheese and goat's cheese, isn't there? There is. And... You know? and when we're selling cheese at farmers markets, we get a lot of people with that view that goat cheese, although I don't want to try it, and go, oh, brilliant, try some of this. And we give them a bit of a cheese called Rachel, which is our gateway drug into the, into the goat cheese world, because it doesn't look like a goat cheese, and it doesn't taste like a goat cheese, but it is a goat cheese. And then people think, oh, perhaps I do like goat cheese. So they feel braver and they try other things. And the thing is that they may have had some goat cheese from France 20 years ago that sat in a car for two days on the way back. And that really is never going to be good no, for any no. cheese. But that's embedded in their brain. Yeah. And actually, as you get older, your, your tastes change and develop anyway. So what you couldn't eat 20 years ago, you'll find you quite... I never used to like asparagus until I had proper fresh asparagus. And yeah, I'm going, because, yeah. oh, that's what it's supposed to taste like. Yeah, is that, and, and so many things like that, isn't it? Where and, if you actually eat the real proper version. Yeah. And, and I think you have exactly the same with your, your, your breads and your sourdoughs in that there's this whole world of amazing food out there that most people don't ever get to try. And we found in lockdown, we sold a lot of cheese online in, in lockdown. And suddenly it opened people's eyes to all this amazing cheese, not just ours, but in Britain that's available 
through on the click of a button or go to your local cheese deli. I always recommend cheese deli because they really sell you the cheese when it's at its peak condition. So then tell people, what do you consider being its peak condition at which to eat cheese? Right, so that again, so the peak condition, that's different for everybody, unfortunately. So something, take our, something like our driftwood. We will sell that at four weeks old and it's got another four to six weeks shelf life on it. Now some people, like me, will like it young and fresh. But some people will like it stronger with a real goatee punch and that's another that's six weeks down the road so you you have to build up a relationship with your cheesemonger so that you you start to understand what they can do they start to understand what what flavors you want from a cheese and you know they're very knowledgeable people they love their job they do a tremendous job and if you go in there and you don't know what you want give them a clue what are you cooking for dinner what are you what are you, is this for a picnic is this for taking to a dinner party they will have all the answers there. You don't have to look, you don't have to know it yourself. And the important thing is ask to taste it. In a supermarket, you can't taste the products. You go to a cheese shop or a good cheesemonger, they'll cut, they'll shave you a thin slice off to try to see is this what you're looking for? And that, they'll get it right. That's their skill. That's what they that's what you're paying for when you go to a cheesemonger. A, you're paying for fantastic taste, but you're paying for that knowledge, and you can't get that anywhere else. And is it like a lot of other foods, it's best eaten at room temperature? Yeah, so cheese, you should always take cheese out and warm it up for half an hour, at least an hour, before you can consume it. And if you're having a dinner party and you've got a big block of cheese, then you don't need it all out. Cut off what you think you're going to use, put the rest back in the fridge. So you don't have to get it all hot and bothered, but you, don't, you ideally want to eat it all that time, because constantly taking it in and out is, is not good for the cheese. It doesn't like those changes in, in temperature. And what's your view on like best before dates and things like that for cheese? Yeah, so cheese is, is preserved milk. You know, we put a lot of effort into making it safe by using acidity and salt to get a safe product. But we have to put a use-by date on it. And so what I would always view a use-by date is a use-on date. That's when potentially if you've got a brie or something like that, that's when it's going to be at its best. If it's being kept in the conditions that the manufacturer expects you to keep it in. Unfortunately, people put it in a fridge, which is too cold. Mm -hmm. So cheese doesn't really ripen properly in the fridge. What you really want is a wine fridge because you can set that to eight or nine degrees, which is what you that's the temperature you want cheese to mature at is eight or nine degrees because at that temperature, the bacteria and the yeast are still working and maturing. Don't stick it on a radiator. That's, that's too hot. If you've got a cold larder or something like that, which unfortunately most of us don't have these days, but it's that temperature. You, you, can, you can speed the cheese maturing up. You can slow it down on temperature. Fridges are generally too cold and too dry. So if you're putting it in a fridge, better in a Tupperware pot. So it's still going to sweat a little so bit. So it sweats, but open the pot every couple of days to let, let the air out. But it, it controls the humidity. It's, so many of the things you're saying are so similar to sourdough. It's, it's a very, well, it's bacteria. It's, it's, yeah. it's, it's bacteria. It's, it's, it's exactly it the same technology. But when you talk about cheese making, when you add the lactic acid? No, we turn the lactose into lactic acid. Okay, the bacteria does that. And therefore, there has to be a similarity between that and a sourdough starter. Very much so. We always like to ask people what their tips are, which I think I've probably jumped on a few of yours where cheese is concerned. But do you have, what's your, your biggest tip to give people when it comes to enjoying okay. their cheese? So my biggest tip to enjoy, enjoying cheese, and to be honest, it's a tip for enjoying any food. There are no rules. So, you know, when I was growing up, you were always told, oh, don't cut the nose off the, the brie and blah, blah. What's a load of rubbish? It's your cheese. Do what you like with it. People think, oh, you shouldn't, you shouldn't melt a good cheese. There's absolutely nothing wrong with melting a good cheese. That heat brings out flavours that you won't get just I don't by like eating it. Dodgy cheese. 
but it's, it, but it's things like that. So, and I did a, a cheese and wine tasting and I've done that several times and I was never very impressed with it. But this lady um, did this cheese and wine where you, you take a bite of the cheese, so you've got the cheese in your mouth and then you have a sip of the wine and you eat the cheese while your mouth is full of the wine. Oh my God, <laughs> the flavour release is phenomenal. It's just, you get different flavours from the wine, you get all the flavours of the cheese. It's a completely different way of, of consuming it. I go, this is amazing. So that, that's, a, that's a big tip for me, because we're always asked, you know, what cheese goes with, what wine goes with your cheese or what cider goes with it. The trouble is everyone's tastes are yeah. different. Yeah. That's the, and that to me is the beauty. Go and discover it for yourself. There's a whole world of food and wine and stuff out there. Go out and learn. Yes, listen to experts, but actually, ultimately, it's, it's your choice. If it's what you like, it cannot be wrong. Yes, we're on the same page. Yeah. We are now going to go and... Uh... See where the magic happens. I'm looking forward to showing you around. I'm sure you're going to be blown away by it. You're listening to the Food Bod Pod with Matthew's Cotswold Flower, bringing you Britain's largest speciality flower range. So, Roger, here we are in the cheese room. Yeah. Um, I'm looking at a huge vat of what I'm assuming is milk. So can you tell me what I'm looking at and what's happening? Yeah, okay, so this is a, this is a cheese fat. This is a 2,000 litre cheese fat. At the moment, it's got milk in it. We've added the bacteria, the starter culture in there now, which is slowly turning the lactose in milk into lactic acid. And that is the start of the cheese making process. And, and what we're trying to do is control the acidity levels by using a bacteria that comes in a, a freeze-dried bag. In the old days, that wasn't available. You just made cheese from the milk using the natural bacteria that were in the milk okay. and people still do that they can still do that with, with raw milk cheeses and something like parmesan is made with the whey from the day before it's a more hit and miss process and that and that's why most of us have switched to this controlled mix of bacteria we don't pasteurize our milk so we have a lot of natural bacteria there already but in, in what we're trying to do is ensure that nothing that we don't want to grow grows because this packet of bacteria that we put in dominates the lactic acid production. The other bacteria there will provide the flavours, but for the lactic acid bacteria production, which is what we want, where we're trying to preserve the milk as cheese, that's the safest way for us to do it. So what's going to happen from this point then? So as you can see now, this is a liquid. It's stirring it. It's just keeping it mixed for about an hour. And after an hour, we add the rennet. Um, we use a vegetarian rennet rather than an animal rennet. Um, you get a better flavour from an animal rennet, but we find most people who want cheese these days prefer a vegetarian rennet because some of their friends are vegetarian. But often if you go to a restaurant, the vegetarian option is a goat's cheese anyway. Yeah. Um, so that's why we use a, a vegetarian rennet. Can you just explain for me what rennet is? Yeah, absolutely. So with cheese making, there's two things, three things you need. You need milk, bacteria and rennet. And rennet is a coagulant. So it makes the liquid set into a jelly or a junket. Now, it comes naturally in, in the stomach of all mammals, in calves or baby lambs or, or kids. And it's how, when the mammal drinks the milk, it makes the milk coagulate in the stomach so the stomach has time to digest it. That's its original purpose. There are natural vegetarian rennets. So the stamen from thistles is a natural vegetarian rennet. You can use fig leaf. So if you get a fig leaf and you make a little cone and put milk in it, it will set into a jelly because figs have a natural rennet coagulant on them. After about an hour of stirring, we'll add the rennet, and then it takes about 40 minutes for that to set like a jelly. And then we cut it with these knives that are in here. So when it's setting, these knives aren't moving, they're, they're, they're stationary. Uh, sets like a jelly. We then cut it a couple of times to start to split the curds and the whey. Because right. the curds is what becomes the cheese. Yep. The whey is 
what goes elsewhere. Oh, that's we that's put, the liquid. We, we like putting that in sourdough. Oh, sourdough whey is, is, is fantastic stuff. I when absolutely agree. When you said some whey, I yeah, put yeah. it in bread, actually, yeah. and it's just yeah. lovely. No, and I, I would love to have a sourdough bakery here. I'd like to have lots of things here, but I don't have the space or well, the time. Well, we can have it. that conversation. Absolutely. Um, but I can also see... You've got a thermometer on here. So are you waiting for this to reach a certain temperature? No, so this, this is the right temperature now. That's the, the, okay. heat, the heating has been done. That's just there. That before we check the rennet, one of the things we do is measure the temperature and we record that because okay. that's an important part of the, the HACCP process of food safety, making sure the time and temperature is correct. Right, okay. So that, those, are, those are sort of the few controls we do have is measuring time and measuring temperature. Everything else is the bacteria doing its job. So, Roger, what are we looking at now? Okay, so what we're doing now is they're about to pour little she, which is a little sheep's brie that we make. Right. So the curd has already been set, cut, stirred a couple of times. So what you're seeing now on the top is the beautiful golden whey. Yes. All right, so that's a very, it's a very rich whey. If we had time, we would make ricotta from that. Okay. So ricotta means twice cooked, and it's a, it's a byproduct from cheese making. It's not a true cheese because it doesn't have rennet in it, but it's... You, you heat the whey up and the ricotta floats out of suspension and that becomes, that's your ricotta. So this is being, you're removing that whey off this at the moment? Yeah, we don't use that whey for anything. That's because we, we need to get less whey in there so when it goes in the moulds, we don't overfill the moulds. So what kind of cheese are we looking at? So this at? is a brie. This is a, a sheep brie. The curd is going into the moulds now. This is a fairly fast process because the sheep's cheese drains very quickly. If we take too long, we get some cheese that are too big and some cheese that are too small. So it's a question of sort of haste and speed, but you're not, you're not trying to damage the curd. So they're, they're, moving, they're not chucking it from a distance. They're gently pouring it in there, but much faster than some of the other cheeses. That's all the way going so, into a bucket. Okay, so there's a, a, a tap underneath it or a pipe underneath yeah. it where all the whey is coming yeah, out. Yeah, so all, all drains out of the table into a bucket. And then that, that is, could be used elsewhere. We don't currently use it elsewhere. Long term, we would have a separator. So we would separate that way and get the cream and be able to utilize that. And you can actually turn the whey into an alcohol as well. You can ferment whey. Yeah, so you, you get, get some milk enough. vodkas um, and stuff yeah. like that. So longer term, that's something I'd love to do. But at the moment, we don't have the space or the equipment for doing that. This is amazing. So we've got all of these beautiful, soft cubes of yep. curds yep. being put into the moulds yep. and so they're going to sit how long will they sit in the moulds so they'll for? sit in the moulds all day today and tomorrow morning so they'll be turned a couple times today and to why get, do you turn them to make sure the whey drains out evenly right okay yeah because it's still it's still quite a lot of liquid in there because it's a soft cheese so if you didn't turn them what would happen uh you end up with a soggy bottom oh no and as they say no one likes bottom. a soggy bottom Fair enough. And so as this, this is in the moulds today, tomorrow that will be brined and okay. then it will come out of the moulds tomorrow. And then it will sit on racks where it's turned three times a week for two weeks. Again, as it's growing a mould and we'll see the mould growing on the cheese later. But the brining is very important to get the right level of salt because cheese is preserved milk. And part of the preservation is the acidity of the lactic acid. But the other part is the salt. If you don't put the salt in, you don't get the preservation, you don't get the shelf life, and you also don't get the taste. Yeah. Some cheeses are salted than others, so if you have feta from Greece, it's very salty. Very. But that's because traditionally they didn't have any way of keeping their cheese cool, so they had to have it extra salted to, to keep it safe. We make a feta or fetish, we call it. Ours is nowhere near as salted because we have fridge, fridges and freezers these days. We don't need to have that level of salt. And you know, there's a lot of government pressure to put less salt in cheese 
but you have to have a certain amount. You, if you, it's unsafe to have too little salt. You know, we, we so it probably, does a job more than just flavour. Absolutely. And that's why cheeses and salamis and all these things, they exist because they are ways of preserving food. Because yeah. at this time, particularly this time of year, when the sheep are lambing, there is tonnes of milk. In the winter, there's no milk. Yes, yeah, so you need to grab it you know, it's there. And in the old days, you didn't milk cows in the winter. If you go to New Zealand, they don't milk the cows in the winter there because all their milk goes into milk powder and, and, and cheddar because they wow. export most of theirs. Well, they know what they're doing here. They've done that so quickly. Yeah, so and that's a two-person job. You can't do it on your own. Yeah. Um, it's a bit of a, a choreography. You don't yeah. want to get in each other's way, but you've, 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 you know... And when we have chefs come around, they say it's like a busy kitchen. Yeah. Because everyone's got their role, they all know what they're doing, there's, there's very little discussion about what's going on. Wayne here is the apprentice today. Um, so he's, this, he, he's learning how to do this and he's doing a pretty good job, I think. All our cheesemakers, they don't come as trained cheesemakers. So they, you train them? They have to be, because there are no trained cheesemakers floating around. Are you a dying breed? No, we're a growing breed. There are a lot more cheesemakers now than there used to be. But you need to train them? We need to train them. They, you know, we don't tend to let our cheesemakers go once they're here. We did get one escape the other day, but you know, um, he's gone to another cheesemaker, so that's fine. He's not left the industry, which is really important for us. Okay, so first of all, we've, we've seen a bit of the, the hard cheese making. We've seen the milk stirring, which is going to become pecorino later on. We've also seen the little cheese being poured, which is a soft brie. And here we have our third style of cheese, which is what we call a lactic cheese. So this was milk yesterday. Right. All right. So the difference, key difference between this and the other cheese is a lot less rennet. Right. So the, 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 the setting is done by acidity rather than the rennet. So this okay. acidifies for a lot longer and that's why it's called a lactic cheese at the end of the day. So this is a new cheese here called Hamstone. This is a lactic cow's cheese. And in front of us here you can see Driftwood, which is a lactic goat's cheese. Oh, I tried that. Yes. So this one was made yesterday but poured today so it's a two-day process to make a lactic cheese whereas the breeze and the hard is a one-day process oh it smells amazing it is and it's very rich and creamy because our, our goat's milk is a very high fat goat's milk because of the breed of goats we use which is what gives our cheese such a creamy flavor compared to a lot of other cheeses which tend to be much drier um, we didn't want to make the same as everybody else you know, we, we've learned our techniques from the French and the Italians because we've lost our history of soft cheese making in this country. Because in the wars, the government said you could only make hard cheese, primarily cheddar, but also Cheshire and Lancashire, those sort of hard, crumbly cheeses. So we lost our, our skills and our history of making soft cheese. So over the last 20 or 30 years, businesses like myself have relearned those techniques from abroad, brought them back here, put our own twist on it, yeah. um, and created our unique cheeses. You know, and our, we, sell a, we do a farmer's market in London and the French go nuts for this because they think it's French cheese and they cannot believe that our cheese is as good as what they used to have. That's always really satisfying when you get a French person go, ah, oh, this is fantastic, or, or c'est magnifique, as they say. Um, yeah, so really proud about that. Can I just ask you why this, the, the one we're looking at, is this so yellow because it's in a yellow tub or no, is this... Cows. Okay, so that's okay. the main difference in colour. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So one of the questions is how do you know what an animal what, what cheese the milk comes from so cows should always be yellow the curd inside should always be yellow goats should always be white and okay. sheep will be an off-white our cow's milk is particularly yellow because it's very rich Guernsey cow's milk so it's super creamy it's like six percent fat in the milk so it's really rich and cream and it is gorgeous stuff to 
to work with. You can really feel the fat on your fingers and it's lovely and you get a rich, creamy flavour. So that's like it. when you see the Guernsey cow's milk in the supermarket and you can see it's got that golden colour. That, that's basically that's what we're looking at. In the old days, you've got your bottle of milk and the cream would float yeah. to the top. That's you what don't, I was thinking of. You yeah. don't get that anymore. And the reason for that is all milk is what they call homogenised now, yeah. where it's smashed through a very small hole, or supermarket milk is, it's smashed through a very small hole to stop that cream separation to improve the shelf life. It does not improve the flavour at all. In fact, it degrades the flavour. You can, if you go to farms and get raw milk, you'll get the proper stuff that's untouched, unfiltered, unhomogenized, and it tastes so much better. Yeah. So I always, you know, if you've got access, and a lot of organic milk is unhomogenized as well. We sell a little bit of goat's milk to a small local dairy that do cow's milk and, and goat's milk bottled Bruton dairy. And again, all theirs is, is unhomogenized because they're selling to a local people. It's not having to travel thousands of miles to get to the market. So shelf life is, is, is less of an issue. I always have a memory of, um when we were children staying on a, a farm in France and having fresh milk straight from the cow. And it, it just, it's one of those things that just stays in your memory. Yeah, absolutely, and I, I've always grown up on the farm here. I've always had cows when I was younger, so I always drank lots and lots of uh, unpasteurized cow's milk. The other thing we find, a lot of people switch to goat's milk because they have allergy problems with cow's milk. And it's not necessarily a lactose intolerant. There's, there's A1 protein intolerance, there's lots of different things. We get people who've got children who've got terrible eczema switch to goat's milk the problem goes away but no one's ever done any research on what the reason for that is but it's one of those things you try it if it works for you fantastic oh, if it doesn't yeah. sorry that's not the you know, you've got try a different problem yeah. yeah and it is it is a trial and error and it's it's you know i was talking to a friend the other day and she's had a gluten intolerance for a long time and they now think she might be celiac so she's having to eat lots of gluten so they can then test it to this and it's horrendous yeah, so you need to but be that's the only way to do it yeah. okay roger where are we now okay so we're now in the brining room and this is our, our tanks of brine so we have two different types of brine here we have the white tanks which have the brine for the hard cheeses like mm -hmm. rachel rustler pecorino and that brine is 13 or 14 years old now so that liquid in that pot yeah is 13 or 14 years old? Yeah. You haven't changed it? We add salt to it, yeah. we filter it and we test it. We don't add water to it. It remains the whole time? It remains the whole time. And that's, it's not quite our secret sauce, but that's the source of our, the yeasts that grow on our cheese. Wow. And the, just tell me again to understand, so the purpose of brining your cheese is you're adding flavour. You're adding salt. You're adding salt, you're which adding assists with flavour, but also preservation. Flavor. Yes. Yeah, so all cheese needs salt. You can sprinkle salt on the top, but with harder cheeses, you tend to brine it because it takes longer for the salt to work its way into the middle, especially bigger cheeses. And behind you there, you can see our Rachel Reserver, which are 12 kilo cheeses, and they'll sit in there for five days. So the, the purpose of doing it with a liquid form like this with brine then is so that it can work its way into the cheese more easily than just putting salt over the top. Different cheeses have different times and different rules. So something like a Stilton, you rub salt on the outside. Okay. So it, just, it doesn't mean you have to do it as brining, but we find for our cheese, brining works the best. So we're, on the other side here, then, we've got more big vats of murky-looking water. Yeah. We, we, just... don't, we don't call it more murky, we call it a biofilm. Okay, and, and so on this side, we've got great big, huge rounds of cheese. Yeah. So how long is that going to need so to be gonna, brined? That's going to sit in there for five days. It gets turned every day, just briefly, so that the salt works through evenly on all sides. Uh, and then it comes out and goes into the maturing room. 
And so the little ones, these much smaller rounds, how long do they need yeah, to sit? Yeah, so these in? get about 50 minutes in the brine because they're a soft cheese, so the, the salt can work its way to the middle much quicker because there's still liquid for the salt to move along via osmosis. You can just dry salt soft cheeses. The problem we found is, as we increased our staff level, different people shake the salt harder or softer. Yes. So you've got variations in the salt level. We find with brining, we get a lovely consistent okay. brining throughout. And for, consistency is a key word for us. We want to be consistent. We want the cheese to taste the same. We want it to have the same magnificent flavour. So that's as soon as somebody has fallen in love with one of your cheeses and they want to come back and have it again, they want the flavour again. Exactly. So there has to be that consistency. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 You're listening to the Food Bod Pod with Matthew's Cotswold Flower, bringing you 200 years of farming and milling excellence. Okay, so we're in the room now where our brie style, our white moulded cheeses, grow their mould. We are surrounded by racks and racks of beautiful cheese. It's all moulded. We've just seen the solstice come out of the brine, and then the cheese comes into these, this room here where we control the temperature and the humidity because we're trying to get a white penicillin mould to grow on the outside of the cheese. We've already put that mould in the milk when we were making the cheese. It's now providing the right conditions for that mould to dominate. We don't want other moulds that are blowing around in the air to, to grow on the cheese. So we want that white mould to grow quickly uh, and with a nice thin covering to protect the curd on the inside. So cheese making this you make the cheese and then you protect the cheese. So with these sorts of cheeses, we're protecting the cheese with a penicillin mould. With the driftwoods and tours, we're protecting it with a geotrichum mould. And with our hard cheeses like Rachel, we're protecting it with a yeast. So this, in this instance, this is when mould is a good thing. Very much so. Yeah, mould is definitely a good thing. In it. it's, it's, it's doing its job. The right sort of mould is, is doing a, a great job. We don't want black moulds growing in here. Right. And that's, you know, if you don't have the right conditions or the right acidity or the right humidity, those black moulds that are blowing around will grow. You are encouraging the right mould to grow on the yeah. cheese. Yeah, I mean, che cheese is a living thing. It's, 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 it's bacterial processes are ongoing throughout its entire life. In here, you're controlling the growth of the mould to a certain point. Yeah. But if you left it, the mould would just continue, therefore, to grow. Yeah, if, if, if we didn't wrap the cheese, you end up with a very thick layer of mould. And then when you're eating it, you just got a very thick rind, which is a bit rubbery and doesn't taste very nice. So for us, it's important to get a growth of mould, but not too much. So mould becomes rind. Is that what yeah. we would be... It, yeah. Me, as a non-cheese person, yeah. would be saying it's the rind. Yeah. Okay, yeah. all right. I'm, and, I'm, and horrendously, some people do cut the rind off soft cheeses. And it's just like, you've lost so much of the flavour. Okay. And so much of the goodness, because, you know, mould is good for you. And so, and which is a, le a learning point then for people, don't cut it off. Make yeah. sure that you use it and just eat the whole thing. Yeah, very much so. Uh, we've moved into another room now, Roger, and we're surrounded by more racks of cheese, but these have got... Ash. Ash surface, is yeah. that what it is? So yeah. it's a slightly black mottled surface yeah. to them. Why ash on the outside of your cheeses? Okay, so these cheeses are made in what we call the lactic style. So most of the cheese making is done by acidity rather than rennet. And the geotrichum mould that we want to grow on this cheese to preserve it needs an alkali layer to start growing. And they found hundreds of years ago in France that ash provides that alkali layer. So some people sprinkle a dry ash on it or mix ash and salt and spread it on the cheese. 
we don't do that because we find a it's a bit hit and miss it's not pleasant to work with because it gets in your eyes and in your nose um, and quite often you can get too much ash on it so what we do is a technique again I saw in France where you mix the ash with water and you dip the cheese in the liquid ash so you get a very fine covering of ash because you're not looking to get a flavour from the ash you're just looking for it to provide the right conditions for the mould that we want to grow to grow. So again, this is because you want it to grow an outer layer that's going to preserve the cheese. Absolutely. And when you say ash, do you use a particular kind of ash? Uh, I mean, it's a vegetable ash we get from France. We did try and make some ash ourselves. It's not as easy as it appears to be. Well, if you've got to get a certain consistency, yeah, I assume. Yeah, you have. Catch yeah. it at a certain point yeah. where it's not bitter. Exactly. So it's just it's just easier to, to, to buy the ash from, from, from France. And so how long will these now be sitting So in these here? cheeses will sit in this room for a week. So what we have in this room, we have a chiller to keep it cold, about 7 degrees, and we have a dehumidifier in here as well, which we're pulling some of the moisture out of the cheese because we need the outside of the cheese to just dry off a little bit so that when the rind grows... It doesn't fall off. So, but you're drying the outside, but you're making sure it's not going to be drying internally. Yes. Yeah. Okay. It's, 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 we don't do it very scientifically. We poke the cheese and go, that's dry enough now. <laughs> Sounds good to me. <laughs> More cheese? More, More fabulous cheese. cheese? More cheese. So what this state is, is this at? So this is the lactic cheese for its second and third week. So we've... We just saw this we've cheese. Se- we saw the cheese a week younger where we've just ashed it and we're drying the cheese. It's now dry enough. It comes in this room where it's slightly warmer. We're not drying the cheese anymore. We've got a good airflow. Um, and this is warm enough now for the mold, the geotrichum mold that we want to grow to grow on the outside of the cheese. So how long will they stay in here? So they'll be in here for two more weeks now. Okay. So we wrap this cheese at between three to four weeks old. And that's when it's, it's optimum for us to, to wrap and sell. We've got a nice thin rind on it. It will continue to ripen for another four, five, six weeks. And it depends at what stage or what strength you want to eat the cheese at. So the cheese will change its flavour over time. So when it comes to eating this, don't cut the rind off, just cut straight through it and eat the whole thing. And and some of these rinds here, like the the parve, it gets a beautiful wrinkly grey rind with a bit of blue mould on it and things like that. And some people are quite scared of parve because it looks a bit strong. Oh no, it's amazing. But you bite into it and it's just this beautiful, sweet, moussey flavour. If you take it to dinner parties, there's never any left. And guarantee it will all get eaten. We've moved through to another room now, a bigger room with even more cheese. Big room full of and cheese. A, a, and these are bigger wheels of cheese, and there's a seriously strong smell. So what am I smelling? Okay, so you're smelling ammonia. So this is this is where we have all our washed rind cheeses, such as Rachel, Pecorino, Rustler, Catherine. And what we're doing in here is we're growing a yeast on the outside of the cheese. And as the cheese cheese matures, it gives off ammonia. So that there's always ammonia in this room. We, we have a pipe which extracts ammonia, otherwise you would probably keel over from the smell of it. But it's a very important part of the ageing process for that ammonia to be given off as the cheese matures and develops the flavours. What we don't want, we don't want the cheese to taste of ammonia when you eat it, yeah. but it's a, it's a byproduct, which is quite often when you, when you open a cheese, particularly a hard cheese, you need to let it air and breathe a little bit before you eat it, just to make sure any ammonia that's there is, is dissipated, particularly cheese that's vac-packed. Because okay. that will trap everything in there. Vac packing is not ideal, but it's if it stops food waste, then it's it works. Yeah. So this is very much like when our sourdough starters over ferment, and they yeah. get that a smell of ammonia. Yeah. So often, you know, people say, "Why does it smell like nail varnish?" Yeah. Um, so it's a similar kind of thing. Yeah. So in this instance, that's because that's what's creating the rind on these cheeses. Yes. 
as opposed to what we've seen previously. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Another room, bigger cheeses. Tell me what I'm looking at. So this is Rachel Reserva. So this is our, our oldest cheese. So this is a, a beautiful hard goat's cheese that we mature for 12 months. So it's very similar to Rachel when it's made, but because we age it for 12 months rather than three months, you get this fantastic range of beautiful fruity ester flavors when you cut into it. It's much harder than Rachel, slightly crumbly. It's very good for grating. And the rind on it is not nice to eat, but it's fantastic for cooking. So if you're thickening soups or stuff like that, it's got so much flavour, so don't throw it away, use it for cooking, or if you really have to, give it to your dog as a treat, because it's really good dog treats. But actually it's better to eat it, put it in food, it's fantastic stuff. Is that why these wheels are so much bigger, because they're going to be in here for longer? Absolutely, so if you make a small cheese, you can only age it for a certain while before it dries out too much. Okay. Uh, for for a, a long maturing cheese such as this, or a big cheddar, or a parmesan, it has to be a big cheese to start with, so that as it ages it will lose a bit of moisture um, but if the surface area to volume is is too great in a small cheese you end up with a brick that has no taste because you need that moisture for the taste you, you don't want to lose all the moisture so what am i looking at now so this is solstice so we, we saw earlier we saw solstice being brined and, and demolded oh, yes, I recognize. Uh, and it then comes into this room here where we're trying to grow a yeast on the outside so we have these because this room is quite a big room and we have a small volume of cheese in here, we, it's quite hard to control the humidity. So what we do with each stack of cheese, they have different controls on it. So this particular stack has a lovely bedsheet style covering, which traps some of the moisture, but allows some of the moisture to exchange through the, the sheet. And we find that works quite well. So for the first couple of weeks, it will be in this sort of environment where we're trying to go the yeast, but slowly. We don't want it to go too fast because then it gets too thick. This is coming back to growing a rind on it again. Yes, it's, okay. all about, it's all about growing a rind. So we're washing this in a mix of cider brandy and water. We actually use Glastonbury spring water. We used to use brine. So and cider? Cider brandy. Is that what gives it the slightly golden colour? No, so the golden colour is the yeast. Okay. The cider provides sugar for the yeast to grow. Right. So you, if you use just neat cider, you'll get a very thick rind because it's too much sugar. It's about trying to get that, that balance right. You want it to grow a little, you, you, it's a bit like your sourdough, you're constantly feeding it. Yeah. You're not getting all the sugar on there in one go, you're giving it a little bit each couple of times a week to just control the, the, the rind growth. So did you call it solstice because it looks like sunshine? Pretty much, yeah. And yeah. also, I'm a big, Glastonbury Festival is literally just down the road from us here. I go every year, I'm a big fan. And I wanted something that would, would celebrate that. Um, and it is, because I've had some, and when you cut into it, the colour and everything, it is a real sunshine yeah, exactly. kind of cheese. Yeah, and then we have a new cheese here, which you don't know about. So this is called Equinox. Ooh. So this is a washed rind goat's cheese. Ooh. So this is the partner to Solstice. So this is a proper punchy goat's cheese. It will have a punch of goat to it. Because most of our cheese is fairly clean and mild, but more and more people are getting bolder about what yeah. cheese they want to eat so we wanted something that would give them that that boldness and the meaty the rind has a very meaty flavor so it's very good for vegetarians who are actually missing the flavor of meat so they can eat that and not feel guilty about eating meat oh fascinating this is the last room of cheese you'll see today unfortunately oh. so this is our our pecorino room we only make pecorino for eight months of the year because the milk is only available for that time but Customers want to buy the cheese all year round. So last year we finally were able to build up a big enough stockpile of it to have enough to sell throughout the year. And once we've matured it, we keep it in this cold room where it doesn't overage. Okay, so this so is a can... much colder room. So 
We're not turning and washing this so much now. It's, it's fully matured, it's ready to go. It's just about maintaining it at that, that point. Wow, it smells amazing. It does, and I, I love the colours and the, the different yeah. rinds. Each batch has a different, slightly different colour depending on what was growing in the air at the time it was made, basically. I'm a bit overwhelmed with cheese. We can go and eat some now. You're listening to the Food Bod Pod with Matthew's Cotswold Flour on a mission to inspire the baking community from soil to sourdough. So, um, Sally has made us these amazing cheese boards and we're now all wanting to uh, stuff our faces. So, Roger, tell me what cheese you think I should try first and talk me through it. Okay, so we've got a selection of our cheeses here and I think two that would be a good contrast for you would be Solstice, which is our washed rind Guernsey cow's cheese. It's washed in Somerset cider brandy. And we have a new cheese here called Equinox, which is a washed rind goat's cheese and that's washed in a local beer called Equinox and we, we love the names and one of the questions you were asking earlier is there a difference between the cows, goats and sheep's milks? Yes there absolutely is and having those two cheeses that are the same style but you will get the difference taste and textures from them so I'm just going to grab a solstice a minute and okay. take a chunk out of it. So these are both fairly young, they will ripen in time but even at this stage they're still oh, pretty, wow. pretty creamy. It is, a little so bit that's gooey. That's the solstice there. Do you want a bit, Sammy? Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's one of my favourites. And oh, it's so, so this is, gooey it's a beautiful, and ripe. creamy oh. yellow colour. Oh. And it's a bit gooey. Mm. Mm. I'm going to taste it with a plain crack. Oh, funny, funny could you smell that. Mm. So that's the, that's the equinox. That's a proper mm. smelly. Um, Do you know, it's lovely because it's not. It's not too, there's an edge to it, but it's not too strong. Yeah, so you can see, again, the Equinox is, is nice and creamy, ripening from the outside, mm. not bursting out of its rind, Ooh. but yeah, lovely and soft, but it is a much stronger cheese than the, than the Solstice. So, I've just tried the Solstice. Mm. I didn't so now solstice. I'm going to have a piece of the Equinox. So visually, the difference is, is that the Equinox is whiter and the solstice is more of the sunshiny golden loaf. Absolutely, yeah. So let's try. Yeah. I just love the rinds on them because you've got so much flavour in that rind. That's that meaty punch to it. Mmm. And too often people cut the rind off. They do, and they're missing, they're missing the best parts. If you've got a gouda, yeah, you have to cut the rind off because it's wax. Mm. But generally most cheeses and, and good cheddars, you know, the, the rind is where the flavour is. Mm. Especially Parmesan rinds, you, you know, chefs in Italy, they use the Parmesan for cooking with it. It's, it's too hard to bite, but grating or cooking with it, you've got bucket loads of flavour there. And you can use that, can't you, Sally can probably tell me this one, you can use Parmesan in cooking like, as a, instead of salt, can't you? It gives that kind of flavour. Yes, you can absolutely do it. What I do is, if I get to the end of a cheese and I've got the rinds, I put it in a little plastic bag in the freezer. So I've always got a whole load. Oh, you freeze them? I freeze okay, the Okay, so that keeps them for longer. Absolutely. Mm. So if I'm making a minestrone or a ribolita, which is sort of like a minestrone, oh, but um, it's got beans in it, you put one or two of those in, and my goodness, it makes such a difference with the flavour. You get that, well, umami, savouriness. But if um, you've got it frozen, surely as well, you could grate it. You could, I guess. Um, I just mm. put it in... 
Um, obviously, you take it out when you when when you serve it, but it oh it goes oh, all so sort it's, of it stays as a lump there. It doesn't oh yeah. Oh yeah. right. Okay. It just infuses. Oh my goodness, it's so good. Because often you know you've got the tomatoes, the tins of tomatoes, um, and it yeah it just adds this savouriness. Um, yeah, it's like a secret oh. ingredient that people don't know in there. This is so good. Are you, eating, are, are you enjoying what you're the enjoying? Sausage, my bread or your, your bread, cheese? Both. The combination of the two together is just stunning. So uh, Roger is currently eating a slice of my uh, hot cross bun loaf. And we're all tucking into the goat's curd as well because I love it. It's yeah, my yeah. most favourite thing of yours. What's this cheese that I just tried a piece of? Okay, so that's Rachel Reserver. So that's a 12-month-old oh, hard, big... 12 kilo gouda mm. size cheese that we mature for 12 months. And it's you a really good cheese just, just eating on its own because it's got so much flavor. It's got these amazing fruity esters that come off it because it's matured for so long. And you can't, you can't speed that up. No. It's like a good wine. It takes time to develop those flavors. Lots of scientists are constantly trying to fake tastes and what have you, and you can't. And you know we often get asked, well, why don't you do a, a truffle cheese? And, and the problem with that is, most of the truffles out there aren't truffles at all. They're truffle flavours. So it's just, it's, it's not what we're about. We're about those ancient flavours that have been around for thousands of years, bringing them out into, in, into our products. Do you know what? Because we're going to keep eating, I think we should let David join in. <laughs> so um, rather than us all just keep going, mm, oh, oh mm. No. let mm. me tell you, we're going to tuck in even more now. I'm okay. going to cut this ham sandwich so you can have a taste of this because mm. not many people have tried this. Is our come have some food? We are now in a huge barn surrounded by many, many goats. We are. So this this is where all of your goat's milk comes is, from. These, these are my girls. These are the these are the ones that do the real hard work producing the milk, uh, which we're very grateful for. So how many goats have you got here? So we we milk about 700 goats. Uh, we have about another 400 young stock because um, we're always improving the quality of our, our goat herd um, through using artificial insemination to get fresh genetics. So we don't buy any animals from other farmers because of disease risks. So we're fully self-contained. We buy AI straws from France to get fresh genetics, and uh, which is why our goats are slowly turning into this lovely brown and, brown and black striped goat called the French Alpine, which produces a milk that is much better for cheese making. And we are the only people in this country using these animals on this scale. So are you saying that all of your goats will eventually be the brown and black? Yeah, and we'll see that later when we go and see the kids. They are 95% now brown with a black stripe. So what kind of age are the goats that we're looking at at the moment? So we generally only keep goats for, for four to five years. We have had goats eight or nine years, but we've, we find having kids is, is quite stressful for them. So we don't want to do it too often. Mm -hmm. We would rather have a good, healthy, goat, strong goat and then when it comes to the end of its, its, its career, it, it goes off to market. I'm mesmerised because the, this, this goat that we have in front of us is just very happily just being stroked and yeah. um, looking at us piercingly. <laughs> but, uh, um, I, I, I don't think she's commenting on the colour of your fleece, but she's, uh, she, she is a fashion victim. Look at that. So they've all got these ear tags. Yep. See, don't like their ears being touched. No. Absolutely hate their ears. So the big orange tag, which so we can read it, the letters are big enough. Yellow tag is electronic tag, because that's the law. And then a blue tag, in case we use, lose one of the other tags, we know what number her actual number is. So, but they, uh, I'm really surprised at how big they are. To me, goats, in my mind, goats would be smaller. A lot of the videos you see on YouTube and what have you are pygmy goats, generally, oh, um, because they, they tend to be naughty and, and frolic. But they don't actually produ 
people don't generally milk pygmy goats because they're small, they've got no milk on them. So commercial milking goat herds will be goats of this size. The white goats here are a Sarnum breed. They tend to be very big. They can get very big like Holstein cows, but they produce a, a very thin milk, if that makes sense, not with the fat and protein content we want. So all our goats are crossbred. There's no, we don't do pedigree breeding. We're very much believers in you know, mixing breeds to get a, a, a more robust goat. And now we've, we've very much gone down the, the French Alpine route because that's giving us a good, solid, strong goat that will produce milk, will kid easily that's you know a big issue we don't really help the goats kid when we had cows quite often you're helping you know calves be born mm. uh, same with sheep if you ever watch any programs about lambing sheep there's always having to help the sheep because our goats are milk producing goats they're not muscly animals so they kid very easily the kids are quite lithe and they, they oh, pop okay. out quite easily so it's not something that's stressful so it's, it's not stressful for them at all they generally have twins sometimes triplets very occasionally with quads we don't like quads because you end up then with four small kids that really struggle to survive they, they require a lot of effort to keep them alive i mean so big they're like small ponies yeah so you can so you can there are things called harness goats so there are people who have particularly toggenberg's goats which are brown goats and they'll have them as castrated billies and they will grow almost shoulder height and they'll harness them to a small carriage and I, I was watching um, a video of yours this morning and you said that uh, you, have, you need to keep them inside, you can't let them out. Yes, a lot of people think goats, oh yeah, I never see goats. Well, that's because they're generally kept inside, not just in this country, but in France and, and elsewhere. Because our biggest risk here to our goats is TB, tuberculosis. Right. Uh, if goats get TB, they all get it very quickly because they are so social. They breathe on each other, they come face to face with each other. So that is our, our biggest threat to our farming is TB. And we are in a high TB area, we have a lot of cows in this area that you know, can get TB there's a lot of badgers and deer in this area that will carry TB and although the goats won't go up to badgers if, if a badger or a deer that has TB piddles on the grass and the goats eat it they'll get TB straight away right, so it's okay. a highly so infectious thing so it's really for them the other thing is goats are browsers not grazers so if you put them out in a field of lush green grass they'll go what am I supposed to do with this if you put them on a hill with all sorts of weird shrubs love it and they'll chew the hedge to pieces and if you let them in your garden they'll destroy your flower bed but they don't eat grass unless they have to okay. they've got nothing else to eat they'll eat the grass but when we first had goats we thought great they'll go outside yeah, yeah. they weren't interested in the slightest and so we've always kept them inside as most commercial farms or farms in this so country it's, do. It's, it's not like with sheep then they're not going to keep your grass levels down or something like that no no oh, okay. I, I get lots of people say oh can i buy some goats i've, bit of, I've got a bit of rough ground but actually, my goats aren't used to that. They wouldn't know what to do with it. You, you okay. need to get goats that... Uh, Angora goats are great for that sort of thing. They need to be outside. And these don't like the strong sun. They definitely don't like the rain. They have no body fat, so they, they can't cope with the cold. So they're, um, best, they're best kept... They are, they are yeah, prima yeah. donnas. They, you know, they're they're, they're, they're <laughs> sort of the racehorse of, of, of the milking world. They are very lithe, fit animals, um, but unable to cope with the rigours of, of being in the wild. Because these are not wild animals. These are not the wild goats that were in this country 2,000 years ago. Well, they're domesticated Yeah, they are domesticated and they have been bred for milk production. <laughs> so they need to, you know, it's like modern day pigs. You can't put modern day pigs outside. The pigs you see outside, they're a particular breed that have been bred with more back fat to keep them warm. Right. We'll go and see the milking parlour first. Okay. And I'll, I'll talk you through that and then we'll go and see the babies. So we're in the milking parlour now. Uh, this is very similar to how you milk cows we don't milk goats by hand we we have a milking parlor so 20 goats come in each side goats only have two teats which was a bit of a surprise to me because i was used to cows having four i didn't really think about it but then you have two teats 
and you basically put these what we call clusters onto their teats and it, it gently massages the, 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 the teat. So it's trying to mimic the mouth of a baby goat. So it's not, it's a vacuum, but it's a pulsating vacuum. So it's not a pull. It's not a pull, it's just a very gentle squeeze. You imagine your hand opening and closing very gently. That's all it's doing. I mean, it's doing it slightly faster, um, but it's just gentle. If you ever watch a, a, a lamb or a, a kid suck, they suck quite quickly because they're only pulling a little bit of milk out each time. Um, so it's a very gentle massage. So are you milking goats daily? Every day, twice a day. Oh, twice a day? Twice a day, yeah. Okay. Because they produce a lot of milk. If you don't make them twice a day, their rudders get very distended and it's painful. So it's really important to milk them twice a day. They like routine, so they tend to be the same group at the same time. Okay. If we move groups around, they get a bit antsy for a couple of days until they settle down into their, their new routine. We try and... We want our goats to be happy because happy goats are productive goats and every farmer will the same with all animals. It's all about keeping the animal happy and what's best for the animal. They come in here, they get milk twice a day. When it's finished milking, the machine detects there's no more milk coming through so it stops squeezing and the cluster just naturally falls off. And then when the whole row is finished, the front opens up and all the goats go out as a group of 20 and go back into their pen. So they're not out of their pen or away from their food for very long. We don't feed in the milking parlour and they still, they're happy to come in. They like to be up high, so like, goats love to be king of the castle. You'll see them you up in trees. They, yeah. they always want to be up high. Not because they love heights, but they're nosy. They want to see what's going on around them. They're always intrigued by what's happening. So anything different, and if you were here when we were milking, they would go, hmm, who's that? That's not, the, that's not the normal person. They'd be like, oh, this is different. This Very is exciting. So, yeah, they, they absolutely they, they, they love their routine. Yeah. So how many litres of milk would you have from one? So on, on, an av on, a, on an average, as a day, they'll give three litres. We've got some that will give six, and we've got some that will give two. And that's the difference in the genetics of the goats. We have a lot less goats producing two now and a lot more goats producing six. But the average is about, well, it's about three and a half now as our genetics have Im improved. So what's the time scale then from you milking a goat and collecting the milk to you then using that milk? Uh, so the morning's milk will be made the cheese that morning. So they'll finish milking about eight o'clock and that's straight in the cheese vat. Wow, yeah. that quick? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, we, the weekend milk, we don't make cheese at the weekend. Mm -hmm. So the weekend milk we'll make on a Monday. And that ageing of the milk, I do think, makes a better cheese. And that's certainly a case with cheddar making. They will prefer, you'll get a better cheese. So you use it for different cheeses yeah, yeah. based on how, when you collected yeah. it. Yeah. Okay, so our goats are inside the whole year, so they don't go and eat grass. We feed them hay, and we get most of our hay from the, the Somerset levels, where they have fields that they're only allowed to make hay once a year. And so we get all sorts of interesting plants in there. So our goat, a lot of farmers don't want that sort of hay, but our goats love that interesting hay with dock leaves and, and rushes and all sorts of things. So that's what they get to, as, that's their fun food. They don't actually need the hay from a dietary, from a, an energy point of view, but it's, they love to chew it. They love the textures of it. Um, and it's a, it's a good bit of fun for them. And then the main thing we feed them is a pelleted cake, which is a mix of wheat, sugar beet, barley, oats, uh, and minerals and things like that. So that's a fully balanced diet. That will provide everything they, they need to grow, to be strong and produce the level of milk that we, we want to produce. We don't overfeed our goats because we don't want them to get them fat. So we, we regulate the amount of food they get so that they produce a quality milk for cheese making. Sorry, I should have been asking you more questions, but I've been busy with someone trying yeah, to yeah. nibble me. Yeah, yeah. They are just awesome fun, aren't they? They are tremendous fun. The other thing we found when we first started milking goats is they like fresh water. So we have tiny little troughs. 
so it's always fresh. When we first had them, we thought it was like cows who have a big water trough. They didn't like it. Once the water was two or three days old, they, they would rather die than drink it. Picky, they, they are very picky. People think goats will eat anything, but they're actually very picky about what they put in their mouth. They like to chew lots of things. They'll steal your mobile phone if you're not looking or have a, a, a toggle on your coat or anything like that because they like the different textures in their mouth. Yes, I'm noticing But they're, they're actually very fussy about what they eat. But they don't mind if they might just try and have a nibble of yeah, my leg. And we do love it when we have cameramen who leave their bags too close to the to the goats because they have a long tongue. They will they will get it and they will they will stand there and they will literally stand on each other's shoulders to get things up high if, if necessary. They, they are very intelligent. We did get some get on the roof one day where we put some bales up against the barn and they got out, climbed up the bales, got on the roof. But the roof wasn't strong enough for us to walk on, so it took five days for the last two to fall through. <laughs> Uh, safely, of course. <laughs> safely. They were, amazingly, they landed fine, like cats almost. But yeah, they, they weren't injured. But there was no way I was, they were living off the moss on the roof. There was no way I was going up there to get them down. We tried tempting them with hay and things, but they weren't interested. So they are, they are fun, mischievous. But yeah, they are, I, I love them to bits. They're great fun to be with. And you can see they're incredibly relaxed. Yeah. You know, you've got a few that are coming up being friendly. Some particularly love attention. But most of them are just sitting there, chilling in the sun. Uh, not not phased about that's anything so, really. So demanding. Hello. A beautiful coloured face has now been pushed into mine. Hello. <laughs> right, let's go see babies. Okay. They're not, not quite as nosy yet then. Oh, they'll come off in a minute. Don't you worry, they'll come up. Hello. So these are about six weeks old now. They love a bit of attention. They're super curious. They're close to being weaned now, so they're fed a milk powder. Mix with the little machine over there that mixes milk powder and water, so they've got a constant supply of milk, liquid milk. They also have straw to eat, and they also have the pelleted cake in the in the white feeder there. Um, so we're trying to. They're now at the point of eating more cake and drinking less milk as we as we slowly start to wean them. There's no measurement of how much milk they've eaten. We just go right. They're big enough, and we stop the milk. Some farmers will try to reduce the milk, but we don't have the facilities for doing that. So how much longer will they stay in here? They'll be, they'll be in here for another month. And then do they go in with the other they go, ones? They go into a bigger pen, not with the milking goats. They don't go into the adults until they've had their babies, right. until, they've, until they've kidded the first time. So they stay as, they'll stay as what we call a cohort. So I think there's about 150, there's 50 goats in each pen. So there's three pens, there's about 150 goats in this cohort, this February's kidding. And they will stay together as a group and they will get pregnant together, they will kid together, and then they will join the, the adult goats to be shown the ropes of how to come in the milking parlour and, and, and things like that. Just, so they just kind of learn from... They learn from what's on around it. They are yeah. very curious. They learn really, really quickly. You know, literally within, within two days of coming in the milking parlour, they know exactly what's going on. They're settled into it very quickly. Again, it's, that, it's having that routine. I'm not sure if the, the, the adult goats have a chat with them and explain what's going to happen <laughs> i don't speak goats so i don't really know um, but they learn yeah. very quickly the, the trouble is they also learn very quickly how to get out yeah so if they, if, if, like if, they if, could jump out they can, they can jump out and they but they're not interested in getting out they like to be together if one gets out by mistake it will just stand here and holler until it gets put back in oh, okay. so they occasionally do get out but not deliberately um, whereas if cows or sheep get out they run off down the road goats when they get out will stay around in the area and, and, and not run away, which is, makes life a lot easier. I do occasionally get phone calls from people saying, oh, you've got some goats out. And I go, how many? They go, two. I go, is it a black one and a white one? They go, yeah, it's all right, they're always out. Don't worry about them, they're not, they're not going anywhere. <laughs> um, so yeah, we've always got one or two goats that like to be out and you just shout and they run back into where they, they, they've come from. 
Um, Such personalities. So when they're really young, it's nice to just go and sit in there. But they're a bit big now. They will they will destroy you if you sit in there now. They will jump all over you and oh, flatten I can, you. Yeah, I can imagine. <laughs> you can see that. It's just they want to jump all over each yeah. other. Yeah. Well, what a fantastic day it's been here at White Lake Cheese, Elaine. I've thoroughly enjoyed watching how the cheese is made. Roger's amazing enthusiasm for what he does and his passion for cheese and also his passion for his beautiful goats. Yes. That, that really is lovely. But I guess one thing that we should probably mention, and you know the answer to this better than me, where can we buy White Lake cheese? Well, there are local markets, farmers markets, that Roger's team sell at. But the easiest thing to do is to look online. So he sells online, but also the farmers markets details will be online. So if you look at whitelake.co.uk, or if you Google White Lake Cheeses, you'll be able to find the details. And I know from when I've ordered it that they, they ship quickly, they send them packed with refrigerator packs inside them. And really, I think that's your best bet. If you can go to a farmer's market and actually be able to try some and be able to speak to their guys that will know what they're talking about, be able to talk to you about their tastes, I'm sure that would be even better, but you can, you can buy them online. I know that uh, one of the places they sell their cheeses is, is at the weekend Queen's Park in North London. I'm sure um, listeners around London, if they get to that uh, farmer's market, they can um, certainly find their cheeses, but there are others, as you say, go, go, go to the website. Thank you for listening. We hope that we've inspired you. We hope that we are bringing you people with like-minded ideas and attitudes about food and that you can enjoy maybe through us vicariously or hopefully a person at some point some of these flavors and yeah and if you can go and see how these foods are made it's fascinating really fascinating and that's it from this edition of the food bod pod join us next time where we will be talking to some members from my sourdough with food bod facebook group and we will be learning how to braid halidough. dough as well as talking about lots of food choices and cultures and how they all integrate together, as well as hearing some brilliant new top tips. And I'm really looking forward to that. In the meantime, thanks for listening to this edition. I'm David Treadway. And I'm Elaine Boddy. And this has been the Food Bod Pod with Matthews Cotswold Flower.